We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, I'm, I'm actually starting to get flooded with a lot of dynasty trade questions. This is why I wanted to have you on because I thought this is like the perfect time. I mean, you are, I think, one of the best tactical traders, just the way you talk about it on your tradecast every week. So I thought this was like the perfect time to do it. Uh, you know, it's everyone is has rookie fever. Everybody is in wants to sell off their veterans. I mean, are you experiencing a similar thing at Roster Watch right now? Like people are asking a lot of those type of questions about how to sell off dusty veterans that are still productive. Yeah, I think what happens is after the draft, people are so lathered up about the incoming class of rookies. I mean, obviously it's dynasty season, but people become fixated on the new crop of young guys and they're scrambling to figure out what can I do with the old guys and how can I get on some of these younger players that everybody is pretty pumped up about. And I actually think, Alan, what happens here from a tactical perspective is that last year's rookies begin to get lost in the mix. So you asked me to prepare a few of my favorite tactics on the trade market, and specifically when it comes to dynasty and this time of year, I think it's a great opportunity to buy low on last year's premier rookies who maybe only performed moderately and also may just be being drowned out by all the hot, the hype surrounding the this year's class of rookies. So, you know, I think to some extent a player shows who he is in the league. So maybe a guy that didn't perform that well in year one, I mean, maybe we need to read the tea leaves to some extent. Um, so you have to be mindful of that. I mean, did, did, did one of last year's rookies come out and really reveal who he was and he's just not going to be that good in the league. You obviously want to be, conscious of that but as we know it takes a little time for these players to develop and if you're still feel that uh, maybe one of last year's prospects has the talent to succeed in this league and he's just circumstantially got a little bit of a depressed value at the moment I really think it's a great time to circle back buy low on last year's rookies and wait for that second year breakout yeah this is where draft capital really means something because if it's a first round wide receiver who didn't perform or show or flash similar like what we thought of Jalen Rager last year that player still holds value but when you have a player and again I'm just using a random name here like Josh Palmer who was a third round rookie people like him but didn't really have that moment 
you could see these guys dropped and that's maybe uh, an opportunity to scoop them up. And now they're not going to be dropped in these leagues where you have 10 taxi squads and 28 man rosters, but you know, in the FFPC format where you can only keep 14 guys. I I like that strategy a lot. And I'm here with Byron Lambert. Everybody knows Byron from roster watch. And we're going to be talking about tips to win trades today. When we say win trades, I mean, you know, it's, Everybody wants to win the trade, but what I think we're going to get into a little bit is how to just make your team better. And sometimes that's not always winning your trade, you know I mean? But I want to start first, just like bring it back to the beginning. I always like to ask guests to come on this podcast about their dynasty philosophy. You were just in a startup now with a lot of heavy hitters. What is super, when we were talking in super flex formats where you start two quarterbacks and, you know, forget the IDP factor. I know your draft was IDP, but what is your basic philosophy for dynasty startups where the rookies are in the pool? How do you like to build? I mean, I take the similar approach I do elsewhere is I really just let the board fall to me. I want to take the best players. I don't want to come in with too much of a preconceived strategy. You know, I don't think I'm somebody, I value the young guys in dynasty and maybe this is a flaw of mine, but I don't, I'm mindful not to just sweep the best players. I want to win now. I think dynasty is such an easy format to always be kicking the can down the road. And as the trash pan says, like how many years are you going to play in this league with these guys? I mean, at some point you want to win right sooner than later. And, you know, I don't want to be an Al Davis that sacrifices the entire future uh, to win now, but uh, I think I'm a little less risk averse when it comes to taking not necessarily old players, but guys in the midst of their prime, you know, um, in the, their mid to late mid, let's call it mid twenties. You see these guys, 25, 26 years old. I think that's fine. Um, and especially if you think that they can help you win now. So I think I have a little less aversion there. I don't think that I am as um, strongly inclined to prioritize youth over performance and, and talent. But uh, yeah, I, I, I like to just see who falls to me. Like in this draft, man, it just seemed to be the way it shook out. The wide receivers fell to me. And so I like to, Alan, when I build a team, I don't want to just be average across the board at the, I want to at the very least try to dominate in a couple of areas on my roster. So in this draft happened to be that wide receiver began to fall to me. I saw that we can start some ridiculous number of wide receivers in this league, which means if you have a big roster limit at a certain position like that, you can't afford to be super weak there. You got to have a couple of good players. Otherwise you're going to be, it's going to be a headache every every single week, and you're going to have a lot of bad weeks. So the way this draft went, wide receivers started coming to me, and I just kind of doubled down on that strategy, and I think I have the best wide receiver core in that league. I think this is going to shock only you right now. So, you know, as some people know that I would uh, help steward the roster watch rankings um, for the last couple of years until you guys handed those, uh, you know, remixed them and now have Trash Man, I think, uh, stewarding those. But – uh, the one thing that I always learned from you in our sidebar conversations with that was you would always be, I would call, so you would have sober rankings. So sometimes, like you said, I would get a little, I would push youth up and, you know, dismiss the boring veterans. Like I would have Derrick Henry, for example, at RB15. And you'd be like, dude, this guy is going to be the number one or number two running back. We care about this year. We care about winning. So that 
that had an influence on me on how I rank players now. I've done four dynasty startups this offseason, and I've taken a little bit more where I used to be maybe 80-20 youth or, or projection. I think I'm back down to, this is going to shock you, 55-45 in the in the veteran favor now. I have a lot of veterans in my startups. And sure, if, if, a, if a fun rookie or a fun second-year player falls to me at value, I'll do it. But my teams have a lot of Zeke, a lot of Mike Evans, a lot of Dalvin Cook in the fourth round type of stuff now. So I think that, you know, we're as an industry, we're not great at projecting what's in front of us that season. We're okay at it. We have picked certain players, but how the hell are we going to project two and three years out? Yeah, you have undergone a transformation. (laughs) I've matured. Uh, But that's the other way to look at it is, and I don't think this is uncommon people talk about it. I don't know how much they stick to it, but I really do think we should be looking at dynasty in two to three year windows. And maybe it should be two year windows more than three year windows. Right. Well, except for like the Pat Mahomes and the Josh Allen, we can look at those guys in three to five year windows. That's okay. We know that Pat Mahomes side of injury will be the quarterback for four years and he'll be a, you know, a top five producer at the position. Right. Maybe more. But yes, I think we should be looking at, you know, so many people, they they get a good team in Dynasty and then they start selling people off. Like you said, at age 26, why Dalvin Cook is the player I'm getting the most questions about. What can I get for Dalvin Cook? I I mean, what are you going to get? Two first round picks, Chris Olave and Jamison Williams. What good does that do you right now? I had a guy tell me he uh, he just sold uh, or he traded away Dalvin Cook, um, Deshaun Watson and it was another good player. It was like, uh, I'm trying to think. It might have been, oh, and DJ Moore. And he's like, I'm in rebuild. Wait, you just gave away three top 30 players. How are you going to compete ever if you do that? Well, you know those people that are always like the smartest guy in the room, but they, yes. never, they never actually win. You know what I mean? <laughs> These guys that will give you business advice on everything from A to Z, but they like, they still, you know, bust tables at a restaurant. You know what I mean? Not that there's anything wrong anything with, wrong with that. that, but it's just, you know, it, it, people are, people are definitely, people are interesting. That's for sure. Yeah. Man. Well, I, <laughs> there's definitely a psychology to this thing, right? Because there's certain times of the year you want to trade certain players. For example, it's like, you know, we just, I'll use Dalvin cook again because I'm getting a lot of questions about him. And my answer is repeatedly, do not trade him now because people aren't valuing a 26 going on 27 year old running back. You want to trade him in week two after he goes 120 and two with four catches for 30 yards. And people are like, Oh, I forgot. He's the RB one through three weeks already. So there's a using the calendar to it, well, I guess that's our first piece of our second piece of trade advice is understand what times of the year, certain players are more valuable. That's uh, a, it's a great point. Um, you, you have this, certain set of players in your league or on your roster that you're never totally comfortable with. Right. So, and you always feel like it's a mirage when they do perform. So I always say like, why not eliminate the headaches from your roster and get yourself players that you're more comfortable with kind of level up to those players. So um, that's a great tactic, Alan. I mean, what you're wanting to do is if you've got a player, you're not very faithful in, when he has that, when he pops for that one or two good weeks in a row, like that's the time he's become marketable, right? And that's the time that you should try to sell him. And on the flip side, we have to be able to un- identify who the undervalued players are. 
And so for me, I mean, I always do that through a number of methods. So I was just going to ask, what are your tactics or strategies for identifying who's undervalued in Dynasty? Yeah, well, I mean, I think recent performance, people have a lot of recency bias, right? So, you know, going back and looking at really in any format, I'm always looking at usage, some aspect of usage versus their actual fantasy production. So, you know, is this a guy who, why didn't he produce? I mean, we have to understand that, right? Is this a, is this a player that's a good player that he's getting the touches, he's getting the snap counts, he's getting the targets, uh, for whatever reason, the production just hasn't been there. Is it because there was kind of an out of sight, out of mind factor? I mean, I talk all the time, especially with the more elite players that you're never really going to get a discount on. I mean, when they're injured or when they've got a bye week or, you know, some kind of, some kind of basically manufactured, uh, uh, distress you know what i mean is an opportunity you're never going to really buy that low on some of these guys but even having just the opportunity to buy is a big deal when it comes to some of these players so deshaun um, watson jerry judy anytime there's off-field trouble yeah that could be a signal opportunity right yeah. yeah exactly so sometimes that's what i'll look for like who's a guy that's been a little injured and now all of a sudden he's got a bye week and he's you know one other thing we talk about is always target losing teams in your league so you know, in any any sales job, you're looking for a sense of urgency, right? You want to create a sense of urgency. So you got a losing team with one of his best picks who's been injured or underperforming and is now heading into a bye week and this guy can't afford to lose anymore. Like that's a that's kind of like a manufactured buy low moment on a potential good player. So uh, those are the type of things I'm looking for. Yeah, I'm here with Byron Lambert from Roster Watch. Everybody knows Byron. Everybody wishes there was more Byron content out there. So, you know, I had to uh, pull him from the uh, off his sailboat, you know, to 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 bribe him to get onto this podcast. Now, we love hearing from Byron Lambert. Uh, oh, by the way, all of Byron's links content is in the video description below, and we'll talk a little bit more about that after. And I want everybody to know this podcast is brought to you by dynasty owner check out dynasty owner thank you for sponsoring this podcast all right so what you were we were just talking about tactics for identifying um uh, undervalued assets in, in dynasty and i and i like what you said there like who just who's slumping for a better word so another act uh another strategy i use is i take a look at the dynasty startup adp and i and i put that next to the redraft ADP and the redraft rankings are, are basically what the market is saying is going to happen this year. And I look for big chasms. I like using, you know, I took that word up from your vocabulary. You always use the word chasm. And when you talk about, um, you know, different players and, and how they're converging ADPs. So uh, that is right out of the Byron dictionary. And, <laughs> and what I noticed is a player and I use him on this podcast a lot is Mike Evans. There's no bigger example of this. Mike Evans in, Best ball ADP and redraft ADP is like wide receiver nine or 10. And in the dynasty rank, he's wide receiver 27. So to me, that represents a, an opportunity there. The dynasty market is not valuing this player. That's an all-timer. I mean, Mike Evans is a fantasy football hall of famer. So are there any other players that you could think of off the top of your head where their redraft ADP and their dynasty ADP is a little bit too far apart? And, that can only be maybe a few spots at the top of the rankings. It doesn't have to be 20 spots like Mike Evans. Four spots in the first round is a big chasm. So who are some of those players that maybe 
one or two of those guys that you think have too low of a dynasty ADP? Well, I actually think that's a good method. That's a very clear cut and good method is comparing dynasty ADPs to redraft ADPs. So um, shout out to you, Alan. uh, (laughs) It's a very simple and clear cut directive, right? It's clever and it does reveal some, what we would call arbitrage, right? Oh, I don't know. The guy that comes to mind, I don't know what his difference between redraft and dynasty ADP is right now, but I, I can't, I can't help but continue to look at Saquon Barkley in dynasty leagues. I mean, the dude is 25 years old. He's one of the great prospects we've ever seen. Uh, you know, we saw a resurgence here with Leonard Fournette the last few years. I mean, Saquon Barkley is very much capable of that. And, um, I think this year could be a real rebound year for him. And then my thought is if he ultimately doesn't stay in New York, like if he ever goes anywhere else in free agency, it's going to be a workhorse role. It's going to be to become a bell cow. That's just the type of player he is. And that's the type of player you would be paying for in free agency. If you were to acquire a running back like that. So that's a good one. to me, it's just, it's a very low risk calculated risk type of move to go after Saquon Barkley. But uh, I think the youth is still on his side and he's got massive upside. Yeah. You know what, when you're saying something like that, it's like, wow, I didn't even, I can't even picture him in another uniform right now. Cause you've only seen him, but think about this in 2023, if the Cardinals aren't happy with James Conner and they bring in Saquon Barkley, you're, I mean, you're right back to thinking of him as a top five running back again, if he has a mostly healthy season. So I, I love that call. I've, I've been, um, keeping an eye on Barkley he in you're right in, in redraft he's creeping back and forth he's in the middle of the second round he's in the in the third round but in dynasty he falls down there's people taking unproven running people are taking no one loves Kenneth Walker more than you nobody loves Kenneth Walker more than you I remember it was a, a year before anyone even knew who Kenneth Walker was and he was 10th running back uh on the Debbie rankings that you identified him so but yeah I'm just to, to have Kenneth Walker go ahead of Saquon Barkley it, it does open your eyes a little bit that there's value there all right I want to go back to the top of the rankings right so you and I've had this discussion and I don't think there's really a wrong answer about who should be the number one wide receiver in in uh fan in dynasty um there's certainly a tier I know that you had leaned a little bit more Jamar Chase I had leaned a little bit more Justin Jefferson but I want you to make the case because this this is a fun debate. This is that when you turn on ESPN and they're debating Michael Jordan versus LeBron, you know, and you have people that like really think they're right. There's no right answer. I mean, I guess I don't want to start the whole argument there. But why is Jamar Chase? Why should he be the wide receiver one in Dynasty? Well, and I think it's a very clear cut and definitive distinction. And <laughs> his, his name is Joe Burrow. I mean, that's just the end of the story. Joe Burrow is a stud in the very beginning of his prime with a very long future ahead of him, presumably with Jamar chase. And um, that's just, to me, that that's just a done deal. I mean, that's, that's it. I mean, if we could split the hairs on the talent with Jefferson and chase, I mean, we could go over their profiles when they were coming out. I mean, that you would still give the nod to, you would just say chase has checked every single box from beginning to end. And Jefferson has mostly done the same. He didn't come out of college with the same acclaim, but that was just uh, the scouts just had him undervalued. Right. Mm. Um, But yeah, the difference is Joe Burrow. I mean, what's he's number one. Joe Burrow is better than cousins. That's clear. Right. And 
you know, look, we say that let's not get too preoccupied with the long-term future in Dynasty. Let's look at two or three years. So to your point, maybe Cousins has got a couple of good years left in him, and that makes Justin Jefferson super appealing in that window that we still that we consider the most viable when we're analyzing Dynasty. And so maybe that equalizes the uh, the debate a little bit there. But it, to me, it's just unclear. Not only is Burrow better than Kirk Cousins, we don't. It's unclear what the future with Kirk Cousins is in Minnesota. So then you worry, well, if Cousins is vacates that spot, then, you know, are we going to have quarterback tumult in Minnesota? We very well might. And that's certainly going to have an effect on, on Jefferson. So I'm going to, that there's no disputing the Joe Burrow case. Like, you know, if we're, we're talking about like who's got the better long-term and short-term quarterback and the, you know, you win the argument. So, but I'm going to, I'm going to punch back a little bit and then we're going to get to some more of our trading tips. So here's, here's the fight back is that, and again, we're talking about high end problems, but these are problems that are real problems. Someone drafting at the top of number one, overall number two, overall in a one QB league has this decision to make, right? So they, this is like a real thing in dynasty startup season. The case for Justin Jefferson is the floor and the seal. The ceiling is similar and the floor is higher. What we saw last week, uh, last year was there was like, um, you know, three weeks, a month that goes by where T Higgins becomes the focus of the offense. And, and Jamar chase is great, but he's, you know, wide receiver 14 wide receiver nine. Whereas Justin Jefferson is the is locked in top five wide receiver every week, but like you said, if we're playing dynasty and we don't, we just said you don't like to think outside of two year windows. But if we're we're talking about the top of the draft, I think it's okay to project that forward. So the you know the LeBron versus uh, versus Michael Jordan debate rages on. It won't be solved today. It's a um, it's a good point. I mean, if I have two players who score the same amount of points on the season our preference has always been the one who delivers those points in a more equitable distribution, a steady distribution over the course of the year so that you don't have these just boom bust weeks where you're, uh, you know, you're in big trouble from week to week where uh, you you might not have somebody produce. And then you have some weeks where you have, uh, you know, excessive amount of points, right? You really want to just win steadily over the course of the season. So, I think that's a that's a fair point, Alan. And then, hey, let me let me throw. I'm looking back at the draft here that I'm in, and you mm-hmm. mentioned some buy low guys in dynasty. Sure. Before we move on, I think people will like to hear these names. A couple other players that I did see that I thought fell farther than they should. Uh, you mentioned Kenneth Walker. I mean, he went three rounds after Brees Hall in this draft. To me, you can argue about those guys as prospects. You can argue about their landing spots, but. I don't see any world where there should be three rounds of difference in a dynasty startup between Kenneth Walker and Brees Hall. So that, that right there tells me that Walker is a pretty nice value in startups right now. Is Brees Hall going too high or is Kenneth Walker going too low? I think Kenneth Walker is probably going too low. And then um, the other players I saw, I mean, Alvin Kamara is having a big slide right now. Alvin Kamara, Aaron Jones, they slid very, very far in this dynasty startup. And, you know, I think Kamara, you have, you're a little more bullish about long-term with Kamara than Aaron Jones, but I think both those guys represented value. Uh, Antonio Gibson, I mean, the, the bottom is falling out on his value. 
Uh, I would Did, take a calculated risk on him for sure. Yeah, he's falling to the fifth and sixth round now, best ball drafts. And I just, uh, you know, I understand why the value is falling with Gibson, but I traded away Alvin Kamara for Gibson and a first round rookie pick. I mean, you know, 23 first is gold right now. I mean, whether it ends up being real gold or not in the trade market, 23 first. So, like, Messiah himself, you know, super valuable. Everybody is. Yeah trying to stockpile those you can't yeah. get them man. that's bitcoin right now it's bitcoin yeah yeah i think that's a smart trade i'm antonio gibson's got a profile i still really really like i mean i'm not that worried about brian robinson and you know we'll see what happens i think that he gibson represents value he's still a young very good player at this point his main thing if he stays healthy he's hard to take off the field and then the other guy that i really noticed the wide receiver was dk metcalf mm. i mean i I understand the concern one. about the quarterback situation there. Trust me, I, I passed on him a couple of times as I have that concern as well. But, I mean, there's a point where you just say DK Metcalf is a young, freakish stud in this league. And um, you don't want to get too low on a guy like that. You know, I have a friend of mine who's, you know, he's he's not tuned into Seattle, but he is he doesn't have a lot of like strong takes, but he is convinced that there is like an 80% chance that Seattle is waiting for Jimmy Garoppolo's shoulder to heal up and that that's who they're going. That Pete Carroll's not going to the season with Gino and Drew Locke. He will if he has to, but can you imagine what would how DK's value will snap back? I love that call because you know what? I myself, I think I've been missing on DK Metcalf. I always pass on him for some for some dopey pick because I'm like oh the the QBs but it's not how you're supposed to think I think you know dynasty players we think that we think long term but we're just as prone to recency bias and the situation that is it's it's that's why I love having these type of conversations because that's an immediate actionable piece of intel I think people that are in a startup don't let DK fall out of the second round in single quarterback leagues like you need to draft him in the second round and. Uh, six weeks from now, we could be talking about Jimmy Garoppolo's number one target. It's not like, you know, everything you said plus that. So I love that call. Garoppolo would be a great fit in Seattle, man. I've thought that for a while too. It's been interesting to understand what that dynamic would be since that's within the division. You know, it's hard to think a trade would go down there. I think that maybe you would see Jimmy Garoppolo cut. And then I think Seattle would be first in line if he hits the market. Yeah. I just don't think that San Francisco, if they can extract some value from Seattle, they don't see Seattle as a threat to them. But, you know, again, I'm just making up a narrative in my head that, you know, they would be, you know, and they have to offload them. They can't have Jimmy Garoppolo in camp with Trey Lance there. It just, it's not going to work psychologically. Agree. Agree. Yep. All right. So we're here. We're talking about some some tips to win trades. And, you know, I put win trades. It's basically tactics that you can get to execute trades because in redraft, I don't know. It's like you have this great trade cast that you do. Are you going to do it again this year, by the way? Or are you retiring the trade cast? Uh, yeah, we- I think well, jury's out, but we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully the trade cast will continue in some form this year. The fans demand it. Just so you know, it's I know we're, we're, we're not going to let you off easy. Just so you know. <laughs> I know the All fans right. want it. But the reason I, I I point to it is because trading is so hard in redraft. It's it's nearly impossible unless you need one team to have a surplus of running back and another team to have a surplus of wide receiver. Very rarely in single quarterback leagues can you trade a quarterback. It's almost impossible because everyone has an answer. I mean, you know, some guy is starting Tua with a good matchup. He doesn't need you know to upgrade. And, you know, tight ends, sure. So those two things have to happen, and then everyone thinks they're getting screwed anyway. In Dynasty, I think trading is a lot easier because you could trade 
players who don't have equal current value, but youth plays into it. So give us another tactic to how to actually not even to win a trade, but just to make a trade actually happen. Well, I think you made a great point when we began the podcast. I mean, everybody loves to quote unquote win a trade, but it's not really that reasonable. I mean, unless most people aren't going to let you just get, get one over on them. Right. And so in the end, what you're trying to do is improve your team and improve your chances of winning. So, you know, a good trade, the hallmarks of a good trade are, it hurts a little bit for everybody involved. It's okay. If everybody's team improves because of of the trade, right. You don't have, it doesn't have to be a thing where you win and they lose. Like you should both be able to win, especially if you want to be active in the trade market. Otherwise it just turns into a certain scenario where you don't ever get anything done. You spin your wheels and uh, you don't get much done. So I thought that was a very good point that you made. I think the, you know, the other thing we always talk about is operating from a position of strength, Alan. So that's when you're going to do your best work on the trade market is when you're operating from a position of strength. It's a big reason why at Roster Watch, we always want to get off to a fast start in our fantasy leagues. And ultimately what that, the long game, what that allows you to do is build a stacked roster with a lot of valuable players. And then it puts you in a position to get aggressive at the end of the season. So like I said, you want to win, right? You don't want to be a chicken little. That's kind of like paralyzed by your own. You don't want to be paralyzed by your own, like these, these stodgy old things. Like, so you want, you want to, you want to win. Right. And so the thing to do is, as the season goes on, as the season escalates, the winning teams that are stacked with good players, it's okay to quote unquote overpay that for an elite player in return that you think is going to carry you to the championship for a couple of reasons. Number one, you're out to win, right? And it's not going to matter if you win. Um, but more importantly, when you get to the playoffs, the players on your bench don't really help you that much. You're not really trying to withstand attrition at that point or hedge too much against injury. You, you, it's maybe good to have one or two solid backups on your bench just in case once you get to the playoffs, but you don't need a stacked bench anymore. What you need once you get to the playoffs is you need what I like to call the most player equity mm. front-loaded into your starting lineup. You need to have the most formidable starting lineup that you possibly can and i always say the way to simplify that is like try to imagine like the most cartoonish starting lineups full of like big name like must start players and that's a really kind of simple method for getting there well it's hard to acquire those players from other teams they don't want to let go of them so you've got in order to get those players you've got them sometimes just get comfortable with the idea of quote-unquote overpaying them you're sending them maybe more total value in more players for their one elite guy in return, but it's okay because that's value that might be rotting away on your bench. Otherwise. See, when you talk about trading like this, it makes the the few hairs I have on the back of my neck stand up. I, I love this shit. This is, this is the kind of stuff because you know, you, you come from a strong sales background and it, it applies to everything in life. It's like how you, what is a negotiation? You're trying to convince the other person and extract uh, of, of the value you're giving and get value back from them. That, and that's life. That's everything. That's, you know, that's all walks of sales. So here's a couple things that I put down that I think are absolutely do not 
things not to do in trade offers. And we all have that guy in our league, but I'm just going to leave a little space right here. We're just going to uh, take a quick break and we'll be right back and we'll talk about things that you should not do in trades. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we're back. All right, so I'm here with Byron Lambert. Everybody knows Byron from RosterWatch, uh, RosterWatch.com. Hey, you know, before we get into what not to do at trades, just tell everybody what's going on at RosterWatch right now and why they should go over there and sign up. Well, we've talked a lot of Dynasty on this podcast, Alan. So one thing that you're well aware of is that we've added a Dynasty component to our pro subscription at RosterWatch. Um, so now uh, all of our subscribers have access to our top 250 Dynasty rankings, um, super flex, uh, and traditional. So for all of you guys who play dynasty or in a startup draft, it's a really handy tool for our subscribers. And of course, you know, we are, are in the middle of dynasty rookie drafts. We have the dynasty rookie draft cheat sheets up. And uh, of course, best ball season is in full swing. So anybody, um, that's interested in trying their hand at best ball, you guys could come uh, download the underdog uh, best ball cheat sheet at rosterwatch.com with a pro subscription. And uh, wait, I can... want to stop you there because I, you know, I like how you guys set up the cheat sheet. It's a very unique format where you could, you could literally follow it down. Anyone who's already, you know, is a member of Rosterwatch knows this well, but it, it, it doesn't, it's position agnostic. It just, it allows you to accumulate value at every pick. That's what I like. I still use it to this day to use it in my drafts. Well, Alex has always described it. Well, the cheat sheet, all of the cheat sheets at roster watch are really leveraged against ADP. Right. And so that's what you'll see on a lot of cheat sheets is you basically see people have just basically copy and pasted their rankings on there. Right. And that's their cheat sheet, well, which is one help. way to do it. It's, it's, it's one it's way to do one it, way to do it. Ultimately you're going to face some very difficult cross positional decisions that you've got to mm-hmm. make. Do I want to run, do it? How do I value this running back versus this wide receiver versus this tight end versus that, this quarterback? That's the tough question. And everybody runs into it. And that's what we've done so well with all of our draft cheat sheets at Roster Watch is we've mapped it out cross-positionally. So it's very intuitive. Um, it informs you with every pick exactly um, who you should be taking. So that applies for the best ball cheat sheet that we have up right now at rosterwatch.com. We've partnered with the guys over at Underdog. They have a big best ball mania tournaments uh, going on right now. So if you guys want to try your hand at best ball, uh, come to Roster Watch, download our best ball cheat sheet, and um, you can use the promo code ROSTER over on Underdog to double your first deposit. 
Cool, yeah. No, underdog is amazing, man. You know, I think they have a deposit deal with uh with Rotowire as well. But yeah, you know, you're our guest of honor. You give us your time. We're gonna tell them to use your code today. So that's how it works. All right. So I'm here with Byron Lambert. Uh, everybody knows Byron, and if you don't, you're in for a real treat. We're gonna talk about things not to do in drafts right now. Like you do, everyone has that guy in their league, okay? And this, I'll start us off, and then you know we can just name one or two things. Now, absolutely, do not not look at the other person's roster, meaning go look at their roster first. Don't just send someone a blind trade and a trade that you think is good uh, where you send them a wide receiver and take a good running back from them. Like, don't just say, okay, you need a running back. Give me Antonio Gibson and you send them, you know, DJ Moore. They might have five or six wide receivers already and they can't even start DJ Moore and they might not have a lot of running backs. Actually, there's only going to be three people in your league max, four people that fit uh, that are good trade partners for you. So you need to actually put the time in and don't just waste your time spinning your wheels. I mean, you could just throw it out there, do a shrimping net offer, but I think looking at the other person's needs and actually giving a trade that fills a void for them is a, is a must. Would you, what do you think about something like yeah, that? I mean, look, the fantasy season is a long haul and you need to use your time wisely and effectively. And so in order to do that on the trade market, you want to, you want it to be targeted. I mean, that's what you're talking about. You're talking about targeting certain players in your league. We talked about losing teams, right? Obviously, those are people that maybe have a sense of urgency. But to your point, and this is kind of dovetails with what we were talking about earlier, where you have to make an enticing offer. You know, you, you want to make an enticing offer. And one component of that is, you know, the overall value that you're offering somebody, the player value, the player equity, as I referred to it. But also, you have to identify the other person's needs, Right you got to trade them assets that they can actually use. Are these guys they're going to be able to put in their lineups even? I mean, does this help them, right? You know, a lot of these struggling teams that you're targeting, well, part of your pitch is that, hey, yeah, you're giving up a player that you might really value, but you're getting a lot of good players in return to fill some holes in your roster. But um, this is also going to help you, like, win this week or this week and next week and get off the schneid, right, and turn the ship around, which <laughs> these – these, you know, you get to a point where you can't afford another loss, right? So I think that's all part of it. You do. You, you have to be targeted in your approach, identify their needs, um, send them something that at least on paper, you know, they're going to look at it and it's going to help them. And, and the flip side of this, Alan, is, you know, because it is such a long season, there's a lot of work that goes in, in, into it. And um, it's kind of really almost a war of attrition for, for fantasy owners. Um you know, I always say the first thing you should do every week when you're examining the trade market in your league is the very first thing is go look at your own roster. Mm -hmm. Do you even have any players that you can trade right now? You know, how marketable are the guys on your teams? Do you have team? Do you have any sell high guys? Do you have guys that are just overflow on your team? I mean, a lot of times you can go, if you're not careful, you go scrounging around looking at a bunch of other teams and players that you think are by lows. You spend 30 minutes or an hour doing that. And then you go back to your roster and you say, well, who am I going to put together to make this trade? And you realize like, oh, I don't even know if I've got the ammo or the assets for this deal. So you wasted an hour doing that. So look at your own team first, identify, do you have guys that you can trade? Do you have guys that are marketable? Do you have guys that you can sell high on currently? That's the best place to start. Right. And then you take that targeted approach to find your dance partner. 
Yeah, I like that. Taking an inventory of your own your own supply closet. See see what you can go out to the market with. Don't just go out there. I mean, some people. It's funny. There was a poll, and I referenced this poll often on this podcast, and I don't remember who put it out exactly, but it was the question was, "What is your favorite part about Dynasty Fantasy Football?" and 37%, I think it was 37%, we talked about it with Jordan McNamara last week, said winning. Only 37%. There was The rest of the percentages were like trading, acquiring rookie picks. You know, there was other things. But like only 37%. That means that only a third of your league or four or five people in your 12th person league are looking to win. Other people are basically throwing in the towel, like you said. If they're, three, if they're two and four, they're basically throwing in the towel. So you're only competing in any given season in dynasty with like eight teams, six teams, everyone else is trying to rebuild. So taking an inventory of your own supply closet, seeing what you can buy from these teams that are quote, you know, rebuilding, I, I think is a good strategy. All right. What's something else that you think that you've experienced in trading that is just a no, no, you don't even want to talk to this person. The, you know, do you have, I, I, Go ahead. Oh yeah. Well, so <laughs> you, know, you raise a lot of good points here, Alan. I mean, the other thing, is most people are so reliant on the waiver wire for improving their team over the course of the season. Really good players use the trade market as another apparatus for improving their team over the the course of the season, right? Um, The other thing that's, I I feel almost a total waste of time and just super lazy. If you really want to get something done, don't be one of these guys who goes and posts your, players on the trade block. trade block. Oh, I mean, that is just wait. the laziest thing in the world. And you're not going to get deals done like that. You're expecting the fish to jump in the boat. And that doesn't really happen, man. You know what I mean? You gotta, you gotta get some lines in the water with some bait out there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, you gotta and, and be active. And don't put Miles Gaskin on the trade. I saw some guy say, put Miles Gaskin on the trade. What do you get? I just dropped him in a, in a shallow dynasty league. Like you're put, if, you, if you're going to use the trade block, and I agree with you, it's a waste of, of chat space. Like I ignore you. But, you know, follow it up with a comment. Hey, I'm putting Josh Allen on the trade block, and this is the kind of deal I'm looking for. A top 12, you know, like explain the parameters. Just blindly throwing it out there. It means putting Josh Jacobs, who's a useful fantasy player on the trade block, does nothing. I, well, I isn't, it, isn't it funny when people pick somebody off of the waiver wire like two days before, <laughs> and the next thing they you know they're throwing lock. them in like on the on the some trade deal is like supposed to be the sweetener that puts the deal over the top, you know, or or a lot of times you'll get somebody off you a trade with some garbage and you reject it, and like the next day they're dropping a couple of those players, right? Um, yeah. But I would say chicken littles are the thing I hate the most <laughs> about the trade market, Alan. These, oh, are I know plenty of those. Are, these are the guys that are paralyzed with an irrational fear in life and it affects them really in all facets of their life. But these are the guys that won't make a deal unless it is so glowingly obvious and clear cut that they are getting something big over on the other person. They're scared to do anything that they might lose on. Right. They don't want to do something that's even remotely close to even because there's not enough certainty associated with the victory in their mind that they can take the risk to do it. These are super risk averse people that act out of irrational fear. And it really undermines their ability to perform. Like I said, in a lot of aspects in life, but especially on the, the, the uh, trade markets and fantasy. So I don't deal with chicken littles. As soon as you identify with the, who those people are really is no point in even ever sending them uh, trade offers. Right. Um, so and these are the people that want to talk. A lot of times the hallmark of a chicken little is they'll talk about a deal. 
right? They'll talk about a deal. They want to get it all talked about. But when you actually, they won't actually ever send the, the offer. So I think that's one of our other tricks in, uh, in, the, in the trade market over at Roster Watch is we always want people to send the trade over. We don't discuss it. You know, don't reach out to me. That's what the chicken littles do. Hey, what do you think about this deal? And then you say, oh, you know what? I like that. I'll do it. And then they'll never fucking, the minute they find out you like it, they won't fucking do it. So that's when you got to say like, hey, I'm busy right now. Like send it over and I'll look at it. And Mm, then they'll probably be still too afraid to even send it over because that's just the nature of those kind of people. But that's when they send it over and then you run to your desk and you click accept. I love that. See, I think that's the clippable moment of this podcast right now is that, okay, so a lot of people talk, no, and then they also, the minute you are, you know, your eyes light up, they don't want to do it anymore. So playing it cool, telling them, hey, send it over, I'll get it, I'll, I'll take a look. And then on top of that, you know, not just you know, auto accept, maybe even trying to squeeze a little more of an extra third round pick. I like that. You know what? I need to implore that strategy because I think sometimes I've been on the both ends of that where I'm like, hey, what do you want? And then I don't really want to do a deal. I'm just interested to talk about it, but I've learned a little better. And then something else that you said about, you know, the chick, by the way, I laugh every time you say any, any roster watch, um, you know, term, you know, that chick, I, it just makes me laugh every time. We just actually started a new roster watch league because the other one folded, but it didn't fold in a sense. We just wanted, we went from a uh, single quarterback to super flex and we said, what's the best way to do it? Let's just flush and start over. So we, but we renamed it the cockamamie. Uh, what's the exact name of it? The cockamamie roster watch league version 3.0. So, I mean, every time I open my app and I see that, I just start laughing. It's just, it's too good. It's too good. Sidebar, sidebar. But we love those listener leagues, man. Yes. Yeah. No, this one's been going strong for four years, five years. And I thought, like I said, if people ask me all the time, how do I get my single quarterback league to a super flex league? There's two ways. Give two years notice so people can prepare or flush and start over. You know, I mean, that's it. Um, but anyway, I always ask, is anyone here? And I, I, I don't ask it exactly like this, but who here works for themselves? Who here is an entrepreneur? And those are the people that seem to be a little bit more risk taking versus the people that, and it's not always the case that, you know, want to work just like a clock in clock out. So I, I kind of glean that information little by little by DM. Hey, what do you do for work? Things like that. And that's who I know who I could trade with. So I think you make a good point about people being scared to, you know, to push the button or on a trade or accept, click accept or whatever it is. All right. Another thing, what I think not to do in trades, and, I, and I'll let you take this one, is shop. Don't just negotiate one person if you're trading a star. Shop that around. What do you think is the best way? If you're gonna if you're gonna do something crazy like trade away Patrick Mahomes or a blue chip player, a Jonathan Taylor, how don't just what would your strategy be? Because I'm getting that a lot. Like, hey, what can I get for this stud? What would you do? Well, it just depends. So I think anytime you're trading a stud, um, usually you need to get under most circumstances, you need to get at least two really good players in return, two starters that you feel bullish about. That's the first thing. Um, I think when I have a good player, I can take a little more target of an approach. So obviously I'll survey my league. I'll figure out who my potential trade partners are, kind of what I think those deals look like. And if there's one or two that I have a strong preference for, I'll send those out first and let's see what happens before I go to my other options. If it's a situation where I am, uh, 
to use your word, a little more agnostic about the trade partner and the trade deal. Like there's a handful of deals out there I'd be willing to take for a player that I'm just looking to move. Then most of the time I'll go put, you know, three, four, maybe five deals out there and just let them see, you know, like I say, get three, four or five lines in the water and let's see what bites, man. Yeah, no, I, I like that. Um, all right. Since, you know, I've, I told you we would, we doing this for 45 minutes. I'm just going to go lightning round on a couple takes here. Uh, we need a couple of nice takes. Then I'll get you out of here, Byron. Uh, again, you famously were early on Mac Jones. You were talking about him as a first round prospect when, you know, when the Debbie community said, eh, maybe he's not even a first rounder, you know, nonetheless a top tenor. I'm sure the 49ers right now wish they had taken him at three instead of Trey Lance. But what do you think is the fantasy trajectory in year two? Uh, are you uh, bullish? Because he Mac Jones is going in the third round of Superflex drafts now. Like he is QB 11, QB 13 in these drafts. I mean, he's moving on up. So from the original Mac Jones truth there, what do you see for him in year two? Yeah, I mean, I think Mac Jones is a stud, and he obviously had a very good rookie year, and I'm not thrilled about the weapons around him there, so it'll be interesting to see how much he can improve upon what he did last year. Um, but, I mean, I'm a Mac Jones guy. I, I think he's worth a high pick in Superflex. In a dynasty format, he's a guy I would love to own for years. I think he does have – he has a little Joe Burrow to him. He has a little Drew Brees to him. I mean, he could end up being kind of like one of those guys over time. I guess my only hesitation with Mac is, you know, the weapons that they're going to surround him with, the style of offense they're going to play. We saw our good buddy Doug Kyde from PFF, uh, who's covered the Patriots for like 15 years now, saying that there's a little bit of concerns with the new offensive scheme and offensive coordinator and will it allow Mac to grow in the way that he can be? Because the guy has, he can be a pro, very prolific passer. So, um, you know, I think there's a little bit of uncertainty as to how much improvement we'll see out of Mac this year, but I'm overall just confident in him as a player that I'm bullish on his career, Alan, and I'm very, very comfortable spending a, a valuable pick on him in Dynasty. Yeah, I mean, you guys have him a little lower than I thought in your ranks. You may want to talk to Trashman about that. You have who do you like better? You Zach Wilson for Dynasty or Mac Jones better? I would take Zach Wilson over Mac Jones, um, just based on a theoretical upside with the players are surrounding him with and kind of the pedigree of the prospect that he was. But uh, I mean, it's very close for me, and I clearly, I mean, I have an allegiance to Mac and. If you took Mac over Wilson, I I wouldn't necessarily argue with that, but I think there's a pretty strong case that Wilson belongs above, slightly above Mac in dynasty rankings right now. Fair enough. All right, everybody knows Byron Lambert. I want everyone to go over to Roster Watch, check out all of their fantasy content, and if you'd like, you can go try all of RotoWire's fantasy content right now for free for ten days. Go to RotoWire.com forward slash try. Check out all of the Superflex Dynasty rankings. I update those weekly. I need to do a clean sweep on those based on some of the conversations we've had here today. And we'll be back next week, everybody. We have another uh, another great guest. Uh, so uh, with Joe Dolan from Fantasy Points is coming on. But Byron, thanks, man. I appreciate it. You always show in love and. Uh, you know, any excuse to get to talk to you for 45 minutes straight for about fantasy football, I'm going to take advantage of that. Uh, my pleasure, Alan. Until next time, brother. Godspeed. Noise, noise. The sun goes down.